Hey, Brian. Hey, Elliot. What's the talk of the table? This week, we're sitting down with Ned Donovan and Brian David Judkins, who are the co-creators and executive producers of Encounter Party, an established actual play podcast that has just made the jump to television after finding a home on Dungeons & Dragons Adventures, the brand new free ad-supported television channel from Hasbro and Dungeons & Dragons. Ned and Brian are here today to discuss the jump from podcast to television, the state of actual plays as a medium, and to give us just a little bit of a peek into what viewers can expect from this new televised incarnation of Encounter Party. Ned and Brian, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? I'm excited to be here. I mean, yeah. the first thing I got to say is, Brian, I'm so glad that you spell your name correctly because otherwise we would have had to yes. have a Brian off and it would have been a whole thing. We, uh, this, this is a weird thing that we have discussed numerous times that um, it's hard to explain this to people, but it, it's usually never okay for two Brian's to be in the same room together or the it's same true. universe really it's, yeah. it's just like all Brian's know this um but but we're but <laughs> no, we're, this is accurate. we're on my you, you guys are spectators in this conversation yeah we're, we're on different cities that's okay and you're but different yes, time we, zones, we, so we just squeaked squeaked yeah this by is safety. this is acceptable because we spell it the same that was our one rider in our contract on set we we uh, won't speak to <laughs> we we just refuse to interview with Brian's that spell it with a y as well you should so, so to kick us off, uh, we're really excited to have you here. Um, for anyone who is unfamiliar with Encounter Party, either as the podcast or as this new incarnation for uh, Dungeons & Dragons Adventures, can you give us broad strokes, what is Encounter Party? Encounter Party is a story-driven adventure using the rules of Dungeons & Dragons to improvise the story in real time. And our specific thing is that every episode comes in under an hour, usually, the podcast. Sometimes it varies. And we record the entire show in a single shot. So our podcast, we recorded over the course of five to seven days in Chicago. And we would fly everyone in. We set up in Brian's living room. We record the whole campaign or the whole season in one go. And then we spend the next four months editing it down into short episodes. And there's a lot of value to that, including recall. No one's asking what we did last week, right? Like it was just yesterday for me, but it was four weeks ago for our audience. The show is entirely edited to be audience focused. We've always said that Encounter Party is more fun to listen to or watch than to play. It is an audience driven experience where we're removing anything that is for the value of the experience of the player and not the audience. So a lot of the inside table jokes that are, you know, normal at a D&D table, but not great to listen to when you weren't there in the kitchen two hours ago. That's gone. We specifically make the show with an entire focus and ear towards what the audience is going to enjoy. And then we put that in a tightly edited, highly produced hour-long package to make it not too long to listen to or watch. I feel like highly produced is a thing that we've seen more of recently, you know, between Dimension 20 and Dungeons and Daddies and Worlds Beyond Number, like, and, you know, and my first dungeon. Sure. Um, Your show is quite good. An award-winning sound design An award-winning sound design. Oh, who would be the smart people to give us an award like that? That's crazy. I don't know. I'm not who a judge. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do it. Um, okay, so we we won't thank you. Great. No. Yeah. yeah don't no thank me. No thank my judges. You. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks to me. But but we, we've seen a lot of like high production value productions at various levels from podcast to television, and I think a lot of people have a head nod towards audience forward, but ultimately all of those shows are still very. The player experience is still very much at the forefront, and people are enjoying watching that player experience. The idea of having, as you say, a show that is more fun to listen to than to play is on the far end of the other spectrum of actual plays from something like Critical Role, where what you see is what you get. I'm kind of curious about, as you as you enter that production phase, what does that specifically look like for the players at the table? Like, What are they experiencing that the audience isn't necessarily seeing? When we were sort of designing the show and looking at what's going on, one of the things we identified very quickly is there's a fundamental flaw in gaming entertainment, which I think, you know, if everybody remembers about six, seven years ago, there was a bubble with like competitive gaming on ESPN and stuff like that. And that is that ultimately the game is more fun to play than it is to watch. And so if you're going to watch, why do people sacrifice their own personal time in order to watch somebody else? play. 
And there's a number of reasons. There's entertainment value. There's educational value. Um, there is uh, sort of the spectacle of expertise. So uh, identifying those reasons gave us sort of the the big number one play, which is we have to heighten everything. Everything down to the dice and the notebooks we're using um, and everything up to the to the the size of the campaign and the grandiosity of everything, it all has to be heightened if we're going to expect you to give us your time uh, to consume. And that also comes into play when we consider the length of the show. D and D sessions are incredibly long; they're expected to be three to four hours, maybe two hours if you're doing you know like a Wednesday night D and D adventures. And I, I remember when Ned and I were first creating the the audio adventures, we just we thought that was too long. It's going to be difficult to get people to buy in to a new program if it's asking you for such an insane upfront. So it's it's going bigger, but it's also going shorter. But we want people to understand that shorter just means more condensed. I'm going to make an insane amount of cooking references because this is my hobby. So prepare people at home. But I would treat our show like a reduction in that we're boiling and cooking off all of the water and we're leaving with just condensed flavor and fawn and goodness. When you're sitting at the table, you're locked into your own view, right? Like whatever your seat is at the table, that's your viewpoint. That's all you can see. But we had something like eight or nine cameras, so we can we can focus the attention where we want to focus it. But that also eliminates focus that we don't have to, you know, like we, we don't have to be staring at action that isn't doing anything. We have scoring and music and lighting to help heighten all of the moments. We had some great people who helped us with some tabletop and some miniatures. We had some custom made miniatures so we can kind of get down in on the action and get more of a focused, you know, micro photography for the table. It's just really every aspect of what you are at home sort of aggrandized into into this spectacle so that it feels bigger for you at home than it does feel for us on set. And you should know what that feels like because you know what it's like when you play at home. So it's always going to be way bigger for you and more condensed and and just all the good stuff at home. And I think when you see the show, you'll be able to understand that difference, that you'll be able to understand, oh, they went from playing in a room to this finished product. What a jump. Mm-hmm. Well, and and something I, I sort of want to, it's not walking back, it's adjusting. When When I say highly produced, I mean tightly captured. Like, we don't do costumes, makeup. We aren't standing up from the table to have scenes, right? Like, we are we are at its core, encounter party feels like the highest produced version of the home game you know and love. Nothing in our show doesn't feel attainable at home. It's just that we are using what we have access to resource-wise in terms of minis, lights, set design to heighten those moments, but it feels like the home game you know and love. It's not designed to feel like a theatrical event. It's designed to be almost inspirational to the kinds of stories you can tell if you had like these things at your home. But everything we do in our show, you could do at home with your friends at your home table. And that was very important to us, both in the podcast and in the the television adaptation, is that we want it to feel like the game you know and love, and therefore you can spend all your time excited about the kinds of stories you could tell, given how epic and exciting and tight our story is. When we were in pre-production, I was on Instagram all the time looking at cool home builds that people have made for like really crazy tables and sets. And I would keep emailing the showrunner and be like, can I have this? Like, no. I always, I always think of the way that we edit and score and sound design my first dungeon as trying to bring the listener into like our imagination. Cause when you're at the table, you hear the backing music, you hear the footsteps as you're walking down the scary corridor and like when you remember it later on, you don't remember a three hour session. You remember that condensed 30 minutes. People talk exclusively about their favorite moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our show is designed to have a whole lot of moments that tell a very huge story. And we're editing down 
the the moments between the moments, the things that get you from point A to point B that are important for gameplay, but not important for story comprehension. I want to, for our listening audience who who maybe isn't super familiar with this new project, I want to draw a line between Encounter Party, the podcast, and Encounter Party, the new television mm, series, if we sure. can. Can you sort of talk about a, what it was when it was just a podcast. It sounds like some of this mentality around, like, you know, reduce the sauce was a part of the podcast production and obviously is even more in the TV production. But where do we draw that line from podcast to TV and what are the what's the separation? I, I'm going to say that there actually really isn't a line. Correct answer. Interesting. There really isn't a line because it was like 2018 I gave Ned a call because Ned was like doing a bunch of audio work and Ned's like a really, really accomplished indie producer. And we put this idea together of like, eh, could we make this work? But there was there was always an ultimate goal. There was like a four-year plan to get to like where we are now. And we were pretty much on clockwork to get here, even with the pandemic as it was. So we had a couple of, of goals that we needed to hit in order to continue the project as far as you know, let's not overstretch if it's not working. Let's make sure we're hitting ratings, goals, and numbers and that stuff too. And we kept hitting them or exceeding them. But the intention was always what you're about to see. This show that's coming out has been the goal since we released in 2019 with the audio adventure. We always planned on this being a television show. And that is why the original show was structured the way it was. And we think that that is the why ultimately the Wizards of the Coast kind of gave us the thumbs up and the support that they did because there was something about us saying, we can do this in an hour without sacrificing any content. In fact, we can get more. So there really isn't a line. This was the original idea that Brian and I had like a four-hour call and came up with. And then we said, we are two actors. We can't <laughs> afford this. And we made the podcast to prove the formula and the format we came up with for the TV show. So the, the format of the podcast feels very much like the television show. It's just that you're now getting that extra experience. And we saw it all the time. Our fans would go like, ooh, I wish you had pictures of this mini that you're describing. Ooh, I wish we could see this, like, the like you'll hear, there's a great moment in season two of the podcast where Sarah Babe comments on the, like, the unbroken eye contact between my character in the podcast and David Lee Quinn's character in the podcast. And we had fans be like, I wish I could have seen that. And the answer's like, you will. Like, it, <laughs> it is the exact same format, which was get everyone in the room, have this epic story created by Brian, improvise within the parameters of the game. We don't know where episodes start and stop walking in. We have a rough idea, but all of those decisions are made in post because what's most important is playing the game truthfully and honestly. And if everyone at the table who's a professional in the storytelling world keeps an ear towards, well, we need to have a story ending beat roughly every two and a half to three hours, right? Like we just keep an ear on that as a table. Then when I get to editing, the job becomes way easier because basically we're saying, all right, we know the episode probably stops here. Let's start cutting out the stuff. And pretty much without fail, we would hit our math without trying very hard. <laughs> like it wasn't a huge, there are deleted scenes. We have bloopers. We'll see them throughout the release of the TV show, which is purely based on the one big difference between the podcast and the TV show is the TV show is technically quote unquote broadcast ready, which means every episode is exactly an hour, 48 plus 12, which means in the podcast, our episodes range from about 48 to 65. Right. We were able to like fudge one way or the other based on where the story needed to go. Whereas in the TV show, we had a much tighter restriction, which often meant just excising a really good scene that didn't actually help forward the plot. It also helped surprisingly that we had fans of the show working on the production. We had a lot of DM players, a lot of DMs themselves who were working in design and crew, which I think that changes their sort of skill assessment Absolutely. is them being able to sort of understand how games are run. And, and we had fans of the show. So our, when we very early on in the editing process, we'd end up with a completed episode. And I remember just looking at it and going, yeah, this feels like Encounter Party. So people who are fans of the show or people who are just encountering us for the first time, 
Um, Encountering. No, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> it's too late. It's um, I, Encountering I think our party. <laughs> there, there should be a lot of sort of confidence of purchase that this is exactly what we were intending this to be, and we're we're excited to kind of show people what was always our intent from the get go. So I, I love the idea that you guys have been planning this from the get go. That the TV show was always the plan, and the, and the the podcast was essentially a very long application form, more or less. Yes. A 66-hour yes. application. <laughs> but but within that, the jump from audio only to audio-visual medium is massive. It is, and also going from independent to working with a studio. And so, there, I mean, there are a bunch of questions I want to get into on this line, but where I'd love to start is, specifically with Brian, the difference between prepping a game uh, that could go any length in an episode and also a season that could go more or less any length is very different from knowing you have to hit 42, 22. Like you've got to hit every episode, 42 minutes. You got to hit 22 episodes. Like to have that episode order and to have someone to answer to is I imagine a different, like for, for me knowing that like we're currently running a season where we're doing a five episode season and we're on, we're coming up to episode five and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get everything in. And we were doing a four-episode season. Sure. And then, yeah, we exactly. did, and then we decided to do five. <laughs> I, I, I want to just preface this by saying one, one tiny peek behind the curtain of Encounter Party is we walk into every season knowing how many episodes we think the show is going to be. And we come in with that prepped. And we are very happy and thankful to Hasbro Entertainment One and Wizards of the Coast for being with us on that journey, which was how many episodes is the TV show going to be? We don't. No, we think it will be around 20 was basically what we said. And we ended up with 22, but they gave us that extra two weeks because we said, well, the story's not done in 20. We need these two extra 48 minute episodes to do the show properly. So the the encounter party method, when we made the podcast, the first season ended up being 21 episodes. The second season ended up being 22 two episodes and the third season ended up being 23 episodes, but we always walked in aiming for 18 to 20. Um, I wish there was a more humble answer here. Ooh, I love it. No, Brian's Don't be humble. very good Excellent at this. preface. But <laughs> Brian, do you want to text it to me so I can say it on your behalf? No. <laughs> um, but the reality is it's planned exactly that way. It's almost annoying how well this stuff is planned. I think our biggest challenge when working with everyone is there is oversight. I mean, Wizards needs to make sure we're not doing some stuff. The studio, uh, honestly, honestly, and this is just just fair. You know, Wizards has a lot, Wizards of the Coast has a lot of things that they they are addressing from the community right now. There are new products coming out and there there are a lot of sort of equality and representation things that, that they are addressing and they are modifying and changing for the better. And so we had to make sure that we're sort of in step with what they were doing and they are being overly cautious on that to their, to their credit. But as far as storyline, they were really hands off. I sent them in the beginning, I said, hey, look, I think, I think this story will take three seasons based on kind of what we did before. Here's what I wanna do. Here's sort of the big overarching thing can I do this with your stuff, with your people, with your product? And before you say no, here's the part in the book you wrote that says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we know exactly how many episodes we're going to have. They said they wanted 20, so I wrote 20 episodes. And because it's an hour long and because it's story focused, you just write it like TV. And that was the same thing with the audio adventure is, yeah, there's a lot of improvisation, but there's a lot of responsibility on my end to make sure that we're still we're still corralling toward the major events that are planned. Um, um, and then occasionally you go off the rails. That happens. It's D&D after all. I got permission from the studio to, to call hold if I needed to go right. I think I used it twice. You used it exactly twice. I we'd used it like, twice. Brian would be like, hey, we're breaking for lunch an hour early. I have to go fix yep, this. Yeah, we're breaking for lunch. I have to go fix your problems. Um, but uh, honestly, our major battle with the studio was just convincing them that we were in as much control as we were. That we really, we re like, it's, it's challenging. It's an unscripted production. It's 
people who are working in reality TV and unscripted TV, but at the end you end up with a scripted fiction fantasy program. It's a mind bender. And as two guys coming in, I think people put a lot of faith in us, but we still had to kind of prove that the idea worked. But we were in far more control than anyone feared. I think because we had spent those years practicing. Another huge testament to the faith they put in us when we started developing this show. It is the cast of the podcast plus one, right? We put together a nationwide casting call in 2018, 2019 to find this cast. And we specifically aimed for people who'd been playing the game for a very long time, people who had been playing just games for a very long time. We wanted everything from expert gamers to we have someone who is, you know, one of New York's more celebrated Shakespeare actors to one of Chicago's more celebrated musical theater comedian people. Like we specifically built a very different cast where everyone fills their own kind of space in the audio. And so every viewer of our show has someone they could latch on to. And that was by design. And then we got people who work in television and work in theater and work in film who understand the story structure, understood when we said the least important part of our show from an audience perspective are the people playing the game. And instantly they went, oh, great. And so our table as a whole knows to cut down on the bits designed to break story. Like we just have a very good flow where we know what we want the product to be and we play our game in that angle. And they don't burn time when you have Correct. pros like that. As, as, as the guy at the head of the table and speaking a compliment to Ned and the other cast members, they pick up on what we're doing immediately. So if we, if we enter a narration or a setup and they know, all right, we're doing a comedy bit, or, oh, this is a horror scene. This is an emotional scene. We're focusing on this performer's character for a little while. So we're all going to sort of heighten what they're doing and support they're doing. And they're all just pros. So they pick up on it so quickly. So our time is so efficiently used. We ended up with 22 episodes out of a 20 episode season, like in a two week film shoot. That's insane. That's the math. People don't quite realize how tight this whole thing is. We filmed for 10 days. Two five-day weeks, seven-hour days each. We captured about 65 to 67 hours of footage across nine to 10 cameras, right? And then the final product is about 17 and a half hours fully edited and tightly put together, which in the TV world is literally insane when you're just turning the cameras on and seeing what happens. <laughs> like, And we don't think you'll be able to tell. That's the thing. Like no. in, in audio, I, if you listen to the original show, I think you're going to have a hard time assuming that it wasn't just played straight through. We had a really, I was just at Big Bad Con and I had a really great encounter with another creator who came up and said, hey, Ned, like after New Jersey Web Fest, I went and listened to Encounter Party because I was really curious about like what you were talking about and all of that. And I don't know what to put my finger on for it. And I'm going to go listen to the show like 17 more times to try and find it. But it is the actual play that I've listened to that feels like it was made exclusively for me, the listener. And I don't fully know what it is you did to do that, but it is so clear in consuming the show that it wasn't you opening a door to your home game. It was a game played for my benefit. And like, I want to emulate that at my home table. And that was always what Brian and I walked in the front door aiming to do. It is interesting and exciting to see it come from podcast to television because the idea of an audience-focused show, an audience-forward show, Again, like I said before, it's something that's been like head fake towards, but hasn't really, in my opinion, been like done with a capital D. So I'm, I'm interested to see how people respond to it, especially the the much larger audience that will be exposed to Encounter Party once uh, it launches on Dungeons & Dragons Adventures. You and me well, both, it's, Brian. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually naturally understandable why that is. Like we are going a little bit against the grain here. And that is the fact that that Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing games in general are storytelling games and they allow you to insert yourself in a fantasy novel or a fantasy film. And when you are playing, it's easy for the DM, but but the players are expected to take hold and tell their story. And it's about them. And 
I think it takes a special type of performer to understand, especially in the audio world, that you have to tell your own story for the benefit of another person. And because of the way that the stories are written and the way that my campaigns are written, our performers and players understand that going in, that it's not really about, it is about them, but their job is to formulate a story that other people can identify with, that people can absorb and reflect on rather than just watch me entertain myself with my own journey. One part of that does come from editing, True. right? Like something Brian said to me when Brian pitched me the show is he said, I want the audience to discover the aha moments simultaneously with the players because that's what will make them feel like players. And our players now know when they start to figure something out, don't hint at it throughout the run. Like let your character discover it in the moment when it happens. And that is designed because when you, that moment at a home game where the whole table realizes simultaneously the story the DM's been setting up all along, in a lot of actual play programs, because of the length, audiences can catch on to that story early. And then they're just waiting for the players to catch up to what they already know. And part of what Brian told me when we were talking about how we wanted to edit the show and what the setup was going to be is Brian said, I never want the audience to realize that before the players do so that they really do feel like the eighth player at the table so that when our players go, <gasps> the, the audience has done that at the exact same time at home. So they feel like they were sitting next to me when we all grabbed arms and went, no! And that's that's a, 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 an editing technique, but it's also based around how we play the game, is choosing when to let our characters figure things out when we feel that moment at the table, rather than what can happen at home is you're constantly trying to solve the puzzle to keep your character alive, which means sometimes you solve the puzzle early. And we work very hard to solve the puzzle when we all figure it out. Also, side writing tip, never let your audience be ahead of your story. Yeah. Because yeah. then they're just wait. Now they're just waiting for your story to catch up. The 80s are over and you're not kids anymore now is a much darker time something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful this is the world of the lost bay a suburban gothic rpg a fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. I'm curious with the, because you've mentioned the, this cast a few times, and, and I'm curious, has the cast had any... It sounds like they've adapted well to the change in form to video, but have there been any growing pains for the cast or have they how have they how have they taken to the cameras? As a cast member. We have to look at them a lot more. <laughs> yes. As a, as a cast member, in the podcast, we would play for seven to eight hours in Brian's living room. That's how we recorded the podcast. You know, very indie, sit around a table with some mics and play the game. And there were scenes where I knew Sarah Babe and David Lee Huynh were going to go off and do a thing. And Ned would put his head on the table and like close his eyes <laughs> like, because it is so exhausting to be that in it for seven straight hours. That is the growing pain. The thing that I had to say, uh, we, we talked about it before we got on set when we were doing kind of a practice day to, to figure out how cameras were going to work and things like that. And I said, like, the biggest thing we have to remember that we always told ourselves in the podcast is the third episode of the day for us is 
three weeks later for them. And so at the kickoff of an episode, our energy needs to sound like we are back fresh and new day one. And that is without question the growing pain. <laughs> like there are moments where I'm pretty sure I just sat down. Yes. <laughs> like I, I think there are moments <laughs> where I, I physically gave up. <laughs> it, it was story appropriate, but I, I remember there's a couple of times when I just, <laughs> I just sat down and said, go, go do a thing. Go do a well, scene. <laughs> this is a secret tip from a guy who watches a lot of actual play because of my role in the community and produces this show. Audio is easier to do than video in the sense that you can cut words down into a full sentence, right? You can cut spaces everywhere. It's amazing. On video, this is my hot tip. It's just called, you know, money. More cameras equals safer editing. Because in an actual play, the normal format is you watch seven people, one of whom is doing something, six of whom are listening. That is the standard format of actual play on the internet. And you can't edit it because you'll see mouths move, right? Because it's just like an uninterrupted feed. Maybe if you're lucky, you have three cameras, one on the DM, one on one side of the table, one on the other side of the table. And then your setups are four. You have a solo on the DM, you have a solo on one side, a solo on the other, and everyone on one screen, right? If you're lucky, that's the amount of editing you can do. For us, most of the show is shot single, 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 single. I can cut to someone's face And if someone's looking tired, they're not on camera. (laughs) Like it's really, there is an added benefit to the format that fundamentally makes it as an editor easier, but also in terms of keeping a program where the audience's focus is defined by the player's energy, I can always make sure the right energy is coming through the camera. That's sort of the unspoken secret of the show too, is that we always have you looking where the action and the energy is. But it also means that we can hide from you stuff you don't need to see, which again goes back to that audience focus. It's, I don't need you to look at people who aren't talking unless they're reacting. So we're not filling you with space that you don't need to focus on. And and look, a, a compliment for Ned, once post-production hits, I, I don't have a lot to do. So all the story cuts and all that fat trimming and and cutting down and and the real sound of the show that's all Ned. So when you hate it, blame me. <laughs> or if there's something you wanted to see that isn't in there, that's his fault. Too. It's my fault. <laughs> but like for real, like like my job is to. I sort of was creative lead on the front end of the show. I got to run the game. I got to do most of the writing. I did a lot of like prop work and stuff like that too. But once it comes down to like deciding what the actual story is and like what stays in the pacing and the jokes and all that stuff. That's all Ned, you know, running that on the back end. So we really wouldn't have the show concept be as successful as it was if we if we didn't have him at the helm for that stuff. Thank you. I was actually just going to ask because Ned, you mentioned you did the editing on the audio format and and I was going to ask how involved in the editing on this are. It sounds like you're, are you cutting tape? (laughs) So I've been a professional audio video editor for a little over a decade. And so I actually think, I say this a lot, but I'm uniquely set up to edit this formula in a way that very few other people are because my first fiction podcast was new plays from emerging playwrights produced as audio dramas with Broadway actors. And we would sit down in a room and do the play for four to six hours where we had a director who would say like, hey, that was great. Let's do that scene again. Or any actor could say like, hi, I'm going to take that line again. And so we would read the show for four to six hours and then I would tighten it, tighten it, tighten it into a 90 to 120 minute show. I'm like uniquely attuned to the pacing of live capture into edited format. And then on the video side, I've been working in multicam for a very long time. And so like, this is all like pretty, I won't say standard. I've never done anything at this scale, but it is like a a thing. My brain is very used to listening for myself and cast member, Andrew Krug, who uh, outside of acting makes his living as a post coordinator in LA. We did the story edits where I lived in LA for a month. We went into the entertainment one offices every day and we sat down at an editing studio with an unedited full day of footage. (laughs) And we just started down, down, down. And we would put little markers for ourselves saying like, this could be the end of an episode. Let's keep going. This might be the end of an episode. Let's see where the next one goes. And usually how it would work is we would edit 
two to four episodes in kind of one run and then say, did we have good endings every 48 minutes? No. Well, then now we have to shift some stuff. And so I specifically did the story drafts with Andrew. And then we had an absolutely incredible editing team led by Alana Wagner and Jamie Kirkpatrick, who we would hand this off to. And they would take these story edits that Andrew and I did that were somewhere between, let's say, 48 and 55 minutes long. And they would get it down to exactly 48 minutes. They would start making angle selections. We would leave notes saying like, hey, right here, look at Brian. Hey, right here, look at Ned. But they would pick the angles. They would figure out that Brian here is our scoring master. So he would send in a list of tracks saying, hey, at this time, I think this is what we need to be listening to. Hey, at this time, this is the vibe I need. Please go find me that song. And so we were extremely involved in the post-production, multiple rounds of edits. But once the story cut was done, Brian's and my work was exclusively in note giving. Um, And we would be receiving edits, you know, two to five times a week. And then we would turn around notes and then they would go off and do them and I I say it's the very fun excitement for me is the very final lock we haven't seen yet. So we're going to see it live with everyone. We know like 98% of what we're going to see, but there's a 2% that is absolutely going to throw me when I find out. And because of some slight weird twist of events, I ended up getting pulled on to score the show. Uh, I had scored the audio version before. And so in order to kind of like maintain that sound, I got pulled on, but I didn't do everything. I didn't really score any of the combats. So we left that to some of the editors who have more experience with some of the more bombastic and adventure-based programming you might see on TV to to handle that stuff. Our editing team was incredible. I can't I can't shout out our production team enough. I'm I can't wait to be able to list everyone's name on our website. Like I can't we have such a good from pre to onset to post. This team fought to make the best show they possibly could. And this show is it rips. Like it's I have watched the hell out of this show. I have seen quite literally every second of tape we captured on every single camera. And the way that this show comes together still blows my mind in the end. My background is also in like multi-cam television production. I work on like as an assistant director for food shows and stuff. So I love geeking out about like production specifics and like, you know. Let's do it. But I do want to dig down on some of the specifics of the production just to kind of highlight that what you guys are doing is a step above or adjacent to what a lot of other actual plays are. So like you said, you know, two shooting weeks of seven, seven hour days, which I assume is just seven shooting hours, not necessarily seven hours on set. We were on set for seven hours. It was six hours of shooting. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. That's seven hours, including a lunch. Like we would arrive a little early to get into makeup and get into, I say wardrobe, like you'll see it when the show launches tomorrow. You'll see like I'm in a hoodie. Like, it is street clothes. It is normal. We wore our comfortable, this is our clothes. But we wore the same clothes every day because we couldn't have a continuity error in the middle of an episode where we changed days, but you didn't, right? And so, like, we had three versions of our outfit in on set that we were doing laundry twice a week to make sure that we could use any footage how we needed to if at minute 20 of an episode we mo- we stopped filming on a day and then picked back up the next morning it needed to be seamless for the audience but it's i don't call our show an actual play that is a, a choice I've made as a producer in this space, as a person who, you know, I run a festival for actual play. We are not an actual play. We are a television show using the visual language of an actual play. Mm. But even when we pitched the show, the top level pitch of Encounter Party is professional actors improvising a story using the rules of Dungeons and Dragons filmed like Master Chef. Like we don't talk about it as an actual play. We talk about it in the language of television and unscripted because I think it does a disservice to the medium to lump everyone together. Like we have access to resources most actual plays can't. And to call us an actual play is to put us in a weird bare knuckle boxing match. That isn't fair, right? Like it's not fair to, to compare the two things. We are, I would say, heightening the visual language first introduced by actual play, but we don't call ourselves an actual play. We didn't really call the podcast an actual play, except for the fact that we were super indie and that was the formula people understood. But it was always the intent that we were aiming for resources most actual plays won't get to have. And to call ourselves an actual play, we felt disserviced the whole art form. 
I just want to take a quick second to personally apologize to Dr. Emily Friedman for oh. for introducing yet another terminology into— Dr. Friedman uh, and I are very good friends. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Emily Friedman, one of my judges for the New Jersey Web Festival, a person I call four times a week with questions. Huge fan of her work. Actively, uh, I would say, despises me for the fact that I, <laughs> I just— blow up the definition of actual play on a regular basis. I have to appreciate what you're talking about though. Like even if we're we're muddying the waters of terminology, I think that what you the the, the spirit of what you're saying is really important. Is for... House of Cards a web series? You know right, what I mean? Like right, it's right. not the same thing. It's also when you have nine cameras, that means okay, great, there's like four camera assistants. You've got seven casts, that means great, there's gonna be at least three or four audio mixers. Great, you've got wardrobe, you've got hair. Like we had a 30-person crew on set. Like <laughs> Right. And it's 30 people who are all getting paid a living wage in Los Angeles. Union wages. So. Something we're very proud of. We are a SAG program. And we are very proud to be able to to say that. And that's, by the way, not only not a thing most actual plays can say, but also like Again, I don't think we qualify for the term. We are something else. And part of that is resources and part of that is format and part of that is formula. And maybe someday the definition of actual play will adjust and will fall back into the window. But as someone who consumes a significant amount of actual plays, we are a television show. And that is different. And we're not, I would say, an actual play television show. We are a fantasy fiction epic television show that happened to be filmed like a cooking show. And that is different than an actual play. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would say to people, especially anyone who doesn't consume the game or the content is, and this is just something that we ended up telling the editing team to help, is we are a fantasy fiction television program that uses D&D &D as a medium right. to tell the story in the way you'd use anything else. So we, we did not set out to make a show about seven people playing a game. This is a fantasy epic that is told through dice rolling and improvisation and that sort of thing. Something Brian said to me a long time ago when we were having a drink discussing, I think it was between episodes or seasons two and three of the podcast, is Brian looked at me. We were debating like, what is this show? You know what I mean? Like, what? What is it? And uh, Brian said, it's like a writer's room where you can be killed. <laughs> that's, so, that's so funny. That's good. I love that's that. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> and that's true. Like death is permanent in our show. Um, no spoilers. I won't tell you if anyone dies or doesn't die, but our fans can tell you death is permanent in our show. And that is a important piece of this is that I talk about it a lot. There's a little piece in your brain when you watch a TV show and you see a very epic moment or a, a huge twist. Some part of your brain knows that actor knew that was coming and is doing exceptional work communicating that it's being learned for the first time. And the style of play that we play means we are the only fiction property where the actor absolutely did not know, right? When you see surprise, it is not acting. It is somewhere in between, right? Like, and that is, I think, what's so exciting about this formula is that the audience gets to experience something they know the actor experienced with them, not the actor communicated for their benefit. Like, when I am shocked something happened, Ned's shocked, and if you're shocked at home, we are sharing a moment even though we've never met. And I think that's something beautiful about the way that this show is captured is there is that little bit of interconnectivity between the audience and the player that basically no other scripted fiction can claim. And given the way that we do the show, because we are fundamentally setting out to make a game that's more exciting to watch than play, that means that the audience gets taken into consideration to the extreme. And one of the things that's personally rewarding is somebody who's got to write and make programming for these types of people is that D&D players and gamers are very smart. Yes. Not only are they smart, but they play a game that teaches them how to think creatively and to puzzle solve. And so if we're going to be able to do stuff, we have to make sure that we're not trying to pull one over on them. They're going to spot it. And yeah, look, uh, the, it's beneficial for us as a program to have characters who can't die for, you know, whatever reasons for, you know, profitability and, and branding and all that stuff. 
but we think the audience would spot it if we start doing some crazy stuff. And once it's spotted, the lethality of my campaigns is gone. Uh, now you don't have to worry about them. And, and that kind of pulls us out of any option of horror or tragedy or anything like that. So th the only balance is to do everything for real. And that means that we got to deal with permadeath. I want to try something with you both where if we're not calling this an actual play, if we're saying if we're saying oh, this no, is like Elliot. a fiction first oh, thing. No, no, no. no. I'm, Elliot, I, I'm this, thrilled. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not it's not a gotcha. I'm not trying to I want I sort of want the I I want the log line for this show without format. Like what's the how do you pitch this show without acknowledging the format? The log line for this show is six strangers share a prophetic dream where two of them are already dead. Now they've got to figure out why. Just going to let that linger for a sec. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's the that's what line. I was looking for. I like and that's it. What we, that when we pitch the show, that's what we say. We don't talk about D&D. &D. We don't talk about, you know, filmed like MasterChef. If people say like, wow, that's super cool. How long did it take you to write it? Now I can get into the form. But at the end of the day, the story is the story. And that is the, the real scary piece that is going to keep people coming back is wait how could this possibly resolve and the only answer there is plot yeah you're not always talking to to actual play nerds like us so yeah well fun fact very rarely one of the things we talked about is um when we made the podcast we didn't go after D, &D people because that community is wonderful and huge but they have a very saturated market of content they can consume right and like if you do the math I adore Critical Role and everyone on it, but their average monthly viewer base is like roughly one and a half percent of the total television viewing audience of the United States of America, right? And they're very popular worldwide. So even just stateside, that number dwindles pretty quick, right? Why would we make a show trying to siphon off an already tiny piece of the market when we could make a show for the 98 and a half percent that aren't being serviced right now? And the podcast was aimed in that exact same way, and the TV show is aimed like that. We are very excited for D&D &D fans to watch a show that feels like the game they know and love, but we're also very excited for people who've never touched D&D &D to discover the game through the kinds of stories you can tell by playing it. Ned's strategy was to push us into what ultimately was labeled as a comedy fiction category. We're not in the gaming category for podcasts. Yeah, and and I think again because we are it's a narrative. It's a, it is a story. It's not really a game. The the game is the game, but the game is used to tell a story and that's what people are tuning in for. That's what they want. Because we wanted to see can we pull in non-players? Can we can we convince people to get past the words Dungeons and Dragons and understand why this is bigger than ever and why are there 50 million people who play worldwide and it's the answer because people are starting to figure out that this is story-based entertainment and narrative will beat everything every time every time so on that note just a few days ago i went to carnegie hall to see a sold-out show where not another DD podcast did a five-year celebration ad pods carnegie hall gig and yeah. to think like a couple of years ago if you had said a Dungeons and Dragons podcast will sell out Carnegie Hall in un, in like a day and a half. You would have said that's crazy, but now we have Critical Role and and um, Dimension Twenty are all doing like you know European international tours. tours and European tours and NADPOD and Worlds Beyond Number is this massive thing. And between Worlds Beyond Number, Dungeons and Daddies, and NADPOD, those are the biggest Patreon subscribers out there. I'm curious to hear from you guys as we kind of wind this down. What do you guys think is the future for Dungeons & Dragons actual plays or shows, and kind of specifically for you guys, assuming, as we all hope, that this show is a big, bombastic, mega hit, what do you hope to do in the future? I got ideas. More season. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot. Uh, Ned, what are the four scariest words <laughs> you've ever when heard? When Brian calls me and says, I have an idea, I know that I'm about to spend 100 hours doing something. <laughs> My Brian does that to me, too. I yeah. do that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is this is not the end of a four-year journey. Right. This is the first idea we had that took us four years to get. We spent four years getting ready for step one. I have a lot of ideas, and this can go even bigger. But at the same time, the actual play market is fruitful, and there's a lot of content that people can consume. And we're not here to—we um, encourage people to listen to what they enjoy, obviously— 
but we're always focused on trying to take a step to the left. Um, we are specifically hunting for studio resources and SAG people. This is a step to the left. Now that the path is forked, and not just with us, with Purple Worm and uh, Heroes Feast and, and the other things that are coming out on, on uh, Dungeons & Dragons Adventures, the direction will present itself. And I think that the, the door will open, not just for us, but for other people to have ideas to perhaps step away from pure audio adventure, as Elliot said earlier, just opening the door to your basement and listening to people playing without you. Something that, you know, I think about a lot as in my space in the New Jersey Web Festival as someone who actively loves this space and works with these creators all the time is there's so much exciting and interesting work going on in this space that is brand spanking new. I joke a lot about one of my favorite artists, Chris Thiele, said bluegrass is in its first iteration as the youngest musical art form that's told without computers. And what he wants to know is who's going to evolve it, right? Like who's going to find the next iteration of bluegrass? And there's a whole lot of bands out there just trying stuff to see if they find it. And I think what's so exciting about actual play, and one of the reasons why Dr. Friedman is so desperately hunting for definitions, is the the concept of what could be encapsulated under that term is basically limitless as long as you are playing a game, right? And so for the art form and for us, like, I want to be able to keep pushing the boundary of, like, what, where should actual play be stuck, right? Like, where should this kind of art form be relegated to in the conversation? But separately, I hope people start to understand the kind of stories being told all over the internet. One of the things Brian and I also talked about early on is in a podcast form or a television form, at the end of the day, there's still only 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. Like, people have a full content calendar. We didn't want to walk in with a four-hour show because we would have had to ask people to stop consuming something they loved to start consuming us. We don't want to do that. We want it to be bite-sized. The hour-long mark means you can consume our show and other things. And we hope that we can be a bridge for people who have never consumed this kind of media into the space where when they finish our show, they go looking in the off week, right? Like, yes, we've got a podcast. When you're between episodes of the TV show, listen to the podcast. <laughs> but also check out what's happening in this space. It is so exciting and so new. And we're so thrilled to be part of this community, however we are, that we can open that door and hopefully build that bridge for people who don't even know to be looking for it. I actually think there's a more interesting question, and this is going to be my Brian David Judkins hot take. I, oh think, I think the question is much less, what is the future of actual play? And the question is, what is the future of semi-scripted content? Yeah. Because... As we move forward, we're not the only we're the only D&D show that's doing it, but other television shows and other new media projects are playing with the idea of semi-scripted and people with improvisational talent, not just for comedy, but for complete story, people who can improvise a beginning, middle and end and, and do a complete tale. And as we move into this horror that is AI, artists are going to fight back. And they're going to have to, they are going to have to fight back with content and creations and media and art that combats or can prove little or no digital and AI influence. And so this may lead into something in a fantasy genre that is very little to do with the game at all. Our closing question that we ask all our guests is, um, what are you bringing to the table? So this can be a, a show, a person, a game, a resource. It can be within tabletop or it can be outside of tabletop. Something you want to recommend to the audience right now that can be totally disconnected from anything we talked about today. What do we bring to the table? Yeah, what are you excited about right now? Yeah, it's a little play on like, hey, what do you bring to the table? But also just like, what are you bringing to the table? <laughs> I'll start. This is my project. This has been my five-year thing. And the fact that for people listening, tomorrow you uh, might be able to consume it, that blows my mind. 
what am I bringing into this space? I make the majority of my living in musical theater and television and film and radio. Like I make my living as an actor and being able to translate the skills I have over there into this space and then work with people in the space on like how that set me up to get a TV show. What does that even mean? Like those are all things that I'm very excited to be bringing to the table. That is the actual play space. That is the indie web content space. And then in terms of our show, I think what, um, truly I'm excited to be bringing onto the table is, um, the character I've built is is something I've never really gotten to see in an AP production before. And the uh, uh, the work that I think that our entire team did pre-prod and post is delivering a product like no one's really ever seen before in this space or really anywhere. It feels like a lot of things, but nothing feels exactly like it. And um, to be able to open a wider definition of what is television, what is entertainment with an entirely new way of looking at it. I mean, that to me is just exciting because what I want to know is who's going to watch it, be inspired and go make a thing Brian and I have never even thought of before. As a DM, I have a big challenge, and that is to get you to buy into my table and get you to buy into my story, which is why the first thing I'm going to recommend is go listen to the old show. Nothing is going to bring you more confidence than that. We have a really fantastic story and I have a lot of challenges because you have your favorite tables and you have your favorite DMs and we want you to sit down and listen to me for 22 episodes, do whatever I want to do. I am excited to share with people what that means as far as we, as, as the show, as a TV show, we have to heighten everything. And that means the DM has to be heightened. It has to be bigger. People who aren't familiar with my work before, I did Second City and IO in um, Chicago, so I went to school for comedy. They're going to want character voices. We're going to give them character voices. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a fine art career, so there there is some artwork that is made by me. There are props. Uh, I think most of the props were made by me. Some of the paint jobs were done by me. As, as a DM, there's a lot I have to get you to buy into to come sit with us for a long period of time. And uh, it's not just going to be dice rolling. It's not going to be just books and gravelly voices. Uh, I guarantee you there is stuff we've done in this show you have never seen before in D&D and perhaps even thought of in D&D. So come enjoy the show. I very much like to produce content that the longer you're invested or the more you're invested, the more you get. So if you can buy in the full way, you'll get more than others. Thank you, Ned and Brian, for coming to the table. Where can people find you and where can they find Encounter Party? Encounter Party can be found on the new Dungeons & Dragons Adventures Fast Channel, uh, currently on Plex and Freebie. It will be free to consume. It's ad-supported. You can find us uh, on all of the social medias. We have a huge community already established from the audio show. You can jump into to, uh, our party people and be welcomed by uh, all the new fans and, and all the old fans as well. Personally, uh, I also am an independent artist. I have a label called Ukio Pop. So if you know me from that, you can find me on Instagram under that label as well. As Brian said, Encounter Party can be found on the Dungeons & Dragons streaming channel, which can be found on Plex and Freebie and others. We just can't name the others yet. It will be free to consume. You can enjoy that wherever you listen. The best way to find out where new platforms are and other places to consume us is to follow us on social media. Twitter and Instagram is at Encounter underscore Party, and Facebook is at Encounter Party without the underscore. We also have a Facebook group, The Encounter Party, and we have a Discord server, The Encounter Party, where you can meet fellow party people. We will always be posting updates to where you can find us and new things to know about us. That's also where we'll be posting things like bloopers and deleted scenes and fun little tidbits about the show as the episodes come out. So you should jump in. I myself, you can find at Ned Donovan, basically anywhere on the internet you want to find me. If you can't find me at Ned Donovan, then I'm at Ned Donovan 13. I can be seen in a whole lot of 
weird theater and TV and film and audio drama, uh, my voice is around. If you've heard me, say hi. And as always, you can just head over to EncounterParty.com to get text information of everything we just said. Plus links. Links are good. Plus links. We'll have links to all of those things and all of those social media handles in our show notes. And if you want more gamey stuff from us, check out the 20-sided newsletter and our Discord, the Many-Sided Media Discord. Those are both linked as well in our show notes. Please rate, review, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Take it easy. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. And if you simply cannot wait until the next episode drops, you should head over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. Fresh! For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there's already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump on into the dice pool. We'll see you there. Splash!